0: hey everyone this is cameron from renegade animation on Renegadepopculture.com. if you like what we do please give us a like a follow and a rating on apple podcast or wherever you listen to us make sure to share out our episodes and if you can consider supporting our patreon that way we can keep doing what we love and that's talking about the winter 2024 anime season
1: and now on with the show What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And returning once again, we've got Teresa.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: And it's time once again to talk about the 2024 winter anime season. Now, this time we're going to do things a little bit differently. Instead of going through each and every title or each genre, I figured we'd talk about this more on a macro scale. We each have a number of major takeaways from watching the shows this season, and this might lead to a more interesting discussion. So, Cameron, I'm going to start with you. What would you say is your first major takeaway for winter 2024
0: i think we have the same first one because i want to say my first takeaway is the fact that izakai and fantasy shows decided to show up this time and i just don't mean in number there are about 10 or so fantasy izakai that vary from izakai to just pure fantasy And then, you know, you dive into the sub-genres of Isekai. But, in terms of the genre, a lot of these shows were really good. Like, some of the best titles this season were the fantasy Isekai shows. We had stuff like Delicious and Dungeon, which combined fantasy dungeon crawling with a cooking anime, which... Hooray, uh, Campfire Cooking just got an English dub. I can't wait to get back into it. Nice. There's the hilarious the wrong way to use healing magic which is a zany boot camp journey of our lead learning to be a healer in where he's not doing the traditional I'm going to help at a medical center or like some part of some healer group. Now he gets taken to what would normally be like a soldier boot camp to be tough and ready to use healing magic while in battle. And then we got stuff like the weakest tamer began a journey, picking up trash, which is more of a self healing journey and an adventure of discovery for our lead in a world where rankings and titles matter and how we follow her journey of healing after being expelled from her family because of having no star ranking. Seventh Time Loop adds an Edge of Tomorrow spin to the villainous Isekai genre, where we are on our main character's seventh time being reborn, and how she is desperately trying. To avoid the death that happens five years from when the time loop resets. Reminds me of one of my favorite films from last year, River. But that's another topic for another time. And with Villainous Level 99, it's not really about the villainous character herself. But the secret boss of a villainous video game trying to be like, Yes, I'm super strong. I want no spotlight attention until, well, whoops. (laughs) She becomes the most interesting person in the world. It's just really cool. Either the genre is becoming smarter, or they're picking out better titles. Not to say that all of the fantasy shows were great, We'll talk a little bit about the strongest tank and my overpowered death ability later. But it rose above the usual tripe that we encounter
1: with this genre. And that just makes me happy. I definitely agree with that. This is probably one of the first times that I've been fully satisfied with the fantasy isekai selection like yeah there's still a couple of blemishes again referring to my instant death ability yada 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 pretty much everything else right from the weakest tamer all the way down to delicious and dungeon they've all been varying degrees of like good to great and the fact that we have two very strong villainous anime in a row that definitely was a pleasant surprise. On the whole, I'd say, moving forward, I want to see this genre and all of the many sub-genres of isekai continue to put their best foot forward. Teresa, what about you? How would you the fantasy isekai genre turned out?
2: Definitely. It's usually the category I'm dreading, and I was pretty tolerable. There's a couple ones that were, like, they were kind of boring, but, like, I liked almost all of them that I watched. I love when a, a fantasy isekai has food involved, and a lot of them in all of the genres that we looked at had food, so that's, like, actually one of my takeaways. I really just like the—I whether. I mean, I think some of them are still based on material, but I just felt like they're finally going for something unique, less predictable, entertaining, finally— That's really going to keep my attention and want to see. It's less about like the points that I got and like really going into that and spending a whole episode of exposition. Like we actually meet the characters and there's something where, especially in the wrong healing magic one, you don't really see the kind of main character, like teacher person until like a couple, like I would say 10, 15 minutes in and it's well. This kind of expectation for it. And I was like, thank you. Revealing a character without just saying this person is here. And then maybe talking to them for one minute. It was like actually a story. It was actually a narrative. I was probably not even expecting. Like I was like, oh, another long title one. But it was actually very enjoyable. And I really liked it. Definitely some in my top ten and uh, top five. And that's absolutely not the case if you guys have been listening to me on this podcast.
0: I have to say one of my favorite jokes of this whole season is when you find out that the main character can do healing magic and they're not just like, oh, wow, like, that's amazing. Or, oh, no, you're a heathen for having healing magic for some reason. It's, oh, God, we have to get you out of here before. And then the door kicks open and the (laughs) the teacher there is just like, "Okay, I'm here. Who has the healing magic. The unbelievable creativity of Delicious and Dungeon. They find so many creative ways to make the food theme around them eating whatever they hunt or fight in the dungeon. Creative, visually interesting. The whole encounter with the living armor is a whole testament to how amazing this source material is
1: if they ever came up with a cookbook based on delicious and dungeon i would pick that up in a heartbeat
0: i did see that in japan there was a that would be crazy uh, like a pop-up restaurant that was based off of the show nice. and it, it's just like it's more fun to talk about a genre that we usually dread being really good in the long run. It's just, I love that. Because I, I don't want to be negative Nancy about anime. It's not fun. But with the fantasy genre and just the whole industry of like light novel adaptations and whatever, it turns into like this game of cannibalizing one another because it's just like they're all taking the same ideas from one another. It's like the whole AI art thing where Now, the AI databases are training the AI off of AI art. (laughs) It's like, how many more times do we need a power fantasy lead and who gets a harem and doesn't have to lift a finger because his ability is too strong? There is a better emphasis on making a compelling world and characters, which is not always the case. Now, for my second takeaway, Let's talk about the fact that even though we're not in the late 80s or early 90s of anime OVAs, there was so much violence. Like, more so than usual. And normally, like, I don't think about it because it's like, oh yeah, anime is one of the few areas where you can find a consistent number of action shows. But action shows where the violence is on the level of stuff like Attack on Titan... Or has the nihilism of those old OVAs and such, where they were like, oh yeah, no, we're going to show you this person getting their arm ripped off. Because. And I I don't know, like, did any of y'all have this takeaway? Or am I just alone on an island saying, look at all the gore?
1: (laughs) The perfect example of this season showcasing a lot of violence, but not in an edgy sort of way, is episode two of solo leveling when the party gets trapped in that like dungeon and they're all trying their best to survive that is some brutal stuff like some brutal kills in that episode the fact that there's you feel the gravity of the situation and yet the violence itself isn't it isn't too gratuitous but it is effective that's something i've noticed across a lot of these shows and i'm honestly impressed that that um again even though there is a lot of violence it's untastefully but still effective
0: and there was like a lot of really good action titles that showed off the substance behind the violence like Ishura on Hulu which almost was kind of an izakai but it's very much just like a tiny part of a show that's more interested in building up the world that's leading up to this big tournament fight, battle royale thing, maybe, where one of our leads, who is from another world, is just one compelling character in a sea of really cool characters. Like, this is like someone's, like, Dungeons & Dragons campaign shoved into an anime. (laughs) Like, they have the cool homebrew stuff, the cool original character ideas and concepts. I was so surprised by that. Or Sengoku Yoko, where the violence is from the conflict between humans and yokai or demons, and how you have different characters, like the fox spirit who likes humans, or the human that hates humans, and how the violence helps tell the complicated dynamic between the two. Teresa, what did you think about this takeaway?
2: I feel like i usually usually notice the violence when it's like really used badly. So I didn't notice it. I can definitely say I didn't notice as much. I would say the only time where I was like, what's up here was chained soldier. And really only in the one episode where like they were ripping one of the girl's shirts as she was fighting As a giant, I was like, why? I still felt like it was pretty, I mean, obviously, extremely violent. They're, like, killing those creatures, like, the whole time. But I definitely saw it in, like, soul leveling. Like, it was, I felt like there was more suspense. And that was how the violence was used. And it was less to show, like, the action itself necessarily. It's more to, like scare effect or like suspense effect which i thought was pretty cool and yeah definitely in singoku i really like that one i love anything with like yokai and demons that's like my jam so i thought that was great the one in insura that one i thought was kind of violent that one i was i felt like i had to take notes to keep track of what's going on i was like i feel like this will be important later but i'm still confused at this moment but it was definitely captivating and a lot of fighting for sure, and there was different characters, so I thought that was an interesting way of going about it.
0: Like, how many times have we seen, like, an izakai or a fantasy show where they actually take the time to build up the world, and not when you get to that point, but, like, very much within the second and third episode? Because a lot of shows like that would just wait until they needed to introduce it into the story. Like, our izakai lead in Ishra, you don't see them again, Until possibly at a later point. It's more about building up the rest of the
2: world. Yeah, I was like, where did he go?
0: Oh, And and yeah, solo leveling, I can understand why this was such a hyped up manhwa adaptation. When they're in that secret dungeon and they're just trying to figure out how to get out of there. And just so much blood. (laughs) More so than usual. A lot of blood. Yep. (laughs) And like we said, it's more substantial violence than just we can do this because we got to attract a male audience or something like that, which is sure. why OVAs were so popular because they were catering towards male viewers who were really into the hyperviolence and such. I mean, good Lord, look at some of the stuff. Uh, I think it, the company was Urban Vision. We're bringing over to the States. It's like,
1: oh, boy. Mike, what was be your next takeaway? We've been talking a lot of positives I want to throw, not necessarily a negative, but it is a bit unfortunate that, based on what I've seen, High Dive has kind of dropped the ball in terms of quality and quantity. I think on our list, we only have three shows that that they've brought over, whereas Crunchyroll has, to call a spade a spade, Crunchyroll has the monopoly on global anime distribution. Like
0: I can combine two of my takeaways because one of them was why did we get snack Besu and gushing over magical girls? Because Japan is very aware that America and the rest of the world love anime. So they're happy and willing to bring over so many titles here, even if they're probably going to eat dirt once they hit the streaming and airwaves. But for some reason this season, we did not get The Way of Pawn, which is a slice of life, cute girls doing cute things, anime about a group of girls working at and trying to restore a Mahjong club. So we didn't get that, but we got Snack basu, which I think there's a, a cultural barrier that I don't think I was ever going to get unless I did some real deep research into the culture around these kind of bars, because otherwise it's a weird comedy that doesn't quite work. And along with it's like shoddy animation and pretty obnoxious characters, there's really like, and I hate saying this because, you know, there's always a viewer for every kind of show, but what kind of anime fan was this show made for?
1: That is a great question because I could not for the life of me figure out who the target audience is for a show like this. Maybe there is a bit of a culture clash and that bars like this are just very popular in Japan and this show is capitalizing on on those types of snack bars. But as far as like the quality of the show, I didn't really find the jokes that funny. I get what they were going for with the anthology style of splitting each episode into, like, three different segments. But, again, just the jokes weren't there, the characters weren't really there, and I think I actively disliked most, if not all, of the male characters. So, yeah, this one is definitely in the not-recommended pile. And then we
0: got stuff like Gushing Over Magical Girls. On paper, there is always prime real estate for Magical Girl parodies. Mm -hmm. You can go a million different directions of where you want to take your commentary. Maybe don't include the molestation of middle school girls as the driving force as to why people should check this show out. There is a great little hook of our main character being a fan of Magical Girl's thinks she's about to become one from the help of this little demon thing, only to turn out that the little demon thing was actually a little demon thing for the evil villains, and now she's a villain, and the twist becomes she actually likes it. I don't know. (laughs) It's like there's a core idea there where I get it. I get where the appeal of this could be, but then the... Pretty much almost hentai levels of ecchi fan service (laughs) caused everything to come to a grinding halt.
1: I'll be honest, once I saw the reveal of her costume, the red flags immediately sparked.
0: It's a shame because I don't want to feel like we're being prudish about every time we talk about some of these more hardcore ecchi border pornography titles because it's like there's nothing wrong with an edgy title but there's also like a bigger discussion to be had about why we keep getting these titles in an age of the internet but that's not what we're here for we're here to talk about the winter season and unfortunately at least yeah I think all of us agree that it was the worst show of the season
2: worst show if they had aged it up we would be talking about it differently. I think High Dive just doesn't have anything left because they have less resources to invest to bring things over because of possibly the AMC acquisition and AMCs that doing the best with their own shows. So I think it presents probably a lot of difficulties like that are happening behind the scenes.
1: I forgot about AMC's new ownership and how that's affecting... Everything from AMC to shutter to this. Yeah, they're
2: just putting all the money in walking back.
1: I saw the ad for the one
0: with Rick and Michonne and it's just like Got it. it, it, I made a snarky remark when Rick said, like, why are you still here? And it's just like, because AMC will not let y'all die.
2: (laughs) Well, people are watching it. I can't say that they're not. It's just not my cup of tea. But I think that's why they're like we have to get something that, like, crunchy roll probably wouldn't touch. So they got this to get, I don't know, you know, the few people who would be into this. I honestly, I was into it until I was like, wait, aren't they in junior high? And then I was like, oh, this has gone off the rails. And then now it's disgusting. It's Change Soldier was okay. It was fine. I feel like it's trying to find that, like, very similar audience who, like, can't tie probably... And that's a little iffy for me.
0: I can at least respect the fact that the male lead is very likable and they didn't try to be really jerkish about the fact that he lives in a world where women are the only ones that get these superpowers and such. He's a decent lead character. Yeah. Stuck in a BDSM-fueled anime, which is... Fine, like I get the appeal of it, at least with this one, more, but it does come at the cost of oh, okay, you know what kind of show you're getting into with this one. The only other show I would say I considered like I actively disliked was my instant death ability is so overpowered. Listen, if you like it, perfectly cool. You're not a bad person if you like it. With that said, if you have to tell people that the source material is a, supposedly a parody of this stuff, of Isekai's and whatever, wh- what's the line from Batman the animated series? It's like if you have to explain a the joke,
1: there is no like, joke.
0: And you can kind of partially see the joke stuff. Like there is just something kind of funny about the lead characters just saying, oh, you need to die. And then the person just falls over dead. Okay, that's kind of a joke but then everything else around it just really sucks and feels slap dashed and put together it's like are people who are saying it's a parody saying that because they want to save face about liking the show or are we just here seeing another bad adaptation because that happens sometimes where good stories from manga and light novels, get a really bad adaptation, you know? R.I.P. The Way of the House Husband.
1: That's actually a fair question. Like, I want to give the original source material the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this is just like a miscommunication between, between the author of the light novel and the anime production committee. But at the same time, this kind of has like the opposite result of like, Starship Troopers, which was... The film is like a satire of the original source material. This is kind of like the straight version of a gag manga. It's not going to work. If it was intentionally made to be played more more straight as opposed to comedic, that was probably the wrong choice because we've talked about how the isekai genre could use better writing, more engaging characters, all that stuff. I don't want shows to fall back into bad habits like this one.
0: And it's funny because the wrong way to use healing magic is a perfect idea for a Isekai parody because of how you have the popular kids who are actually pretty likable to our lead. And then the two guys are like, okay, I'm not really down with all this, but the girl is very much like, I am so down for the Isekai fantasy <laughs> stuff. And the training that our lead goes through would have been like a Demon Slayer arc. But instead of giving a sword, he's thrown into the deep end with rocks tied to his ankles. But... The fact that those are the only ones I could say I outright disliked leads me to my third takeaway. Even the sh- more middling shows at least had something interesting about them or a hook that they obviously tried to focus on more than usual. With stuff like, say, the unwanted undead adventurer almost has a sort of solo leveling beginning where our lead just happens to walk into a dungeon room where a really cool and creepy dragon looking creature is there dies and then has to start over as a skeleton to then work his way up to maybe becoming human again. But so far he is just a ghoul slash skeleton and having to begin his journey to become a stronger Fighter and adventurer. It doesn't always work. Mike, I think you put it best. It has a really good
1: hook. It just doesn't really have the sauce that a premise like this deserves. And like you said, it's not a complete failure. I actually kinda chuckled him, like the first time our character found himself some flesh and tried to speak for the first time. He sounded a zombie. But um. Other than that, there just wasn't anything special about this show. It just kind of was going through the motions.
0: And then we got stuff like the Strongest Tanks Labyrinth raids, where it's another one of those fantasy shows where someone has a really useful role in the party, but the party's just like, "Yeah, we don't need you." And then it becomes a whole boring anime about how they find their own happiness. And then the party's just like, man, why did we ever get rid of this person? And I like the idea that these kind of shows offer, but they never seem to quite get past the questions that you ask. Like, why does the hero's party here find the tank, the person taking all the damage, useless? And I mean like in a real believable way because so far a show hasn't quite hit that point yet where you believe the reason they were expelled. And with other shows, though, it's like it's the same thing. Delusional Monthly Magazine, one of the few original anime of this season, doesn't seem to know what kind of show it wants to be. Does it want to be this weird, macabre monthly magazine or does it want to be this globe-trotting, supernatural animal fighting thing like I said in the group chat it's like Altered Beast but Indiana Jones
1: thrown into the mix I was a little bit more positive about this one but ultimately I agree it does have a bit of a focus issue where sometimes it can't decide which element they find more interesting I would have liked them personally to focus a little bit more on the globe-trotting adventure stuff because that's when the show seems to have more fun. Like, it's a fun-looking show, and
0: I'm not against the globetrotting aspect, but something just wasn't clicking with me with this one. And the same one for Dr. Elise, which turns out to be a multi isekai story where our lead was from a fantasy world, gets transported to a real world, but then dies again and is back into the fantasy world that she came from, but is now like a super powerful medic. And I like the fact that it tried to go places, but it feels like it's trying too hard to be unique. But maybe it got to a point where it got better later on, but that one didn't quite work. Same with Tales of the Wedding Rings. Like, I give kudos to them trying to build up our lead with the fact that he's about to have five wives with the wedding ring thing about becoming stronger and what have you it just dives a little too much into the harem aspects which is disappointing but i like that they at least try to build up their relationship it's not just love at first sight they try to give these characters different personalities and dynamics but You know, after the whole, the 100 girlfriends thing, it's really hard to go back to normal harem nonsense when the ultimate cracked out harem kind of set a new bar. And it's a shame because that means shows like Hokkaido girls are super adorable get thrown under the bus because they're more traditional harem in execution where the lead is sweet and the girls are sweet. But it does feel like a marketing ploy of like, hey, come to Hokkaido, we got really cute girls here. And it's, uh, no matter how likable you make the main girls and how hot they are, that seems kind of creepy to say, come to Hokkaido, we got cute girls.
1: Quick question, just because I'm curious. Do you think 100 Soulmates is to the harem anime as Walk Hard was for the music biopic? Oh, Absolutely no way you can go back to
0: making a traditional harem unless you execute that stuff with medical precision because nobody wants to see a normal harem anime anymore. They want you to just go out there, go the distance, just throw everything at the wall. But that doesn't mean like stuff like fluffy paradise should be seen as lesser shows because Fluffy Paradise is just a sweet little anime, Isekai, about a girl who just wants to chill with animals. Are you really going to be mad about a show that's all about that? (laughs) Absolutely not. Especially that ending. Golly, it was cute to see the little stop motion ending.
2: Yes, I Uh, was expecting that.
0: Uh, Teresa, did you have any titles where you were kind of like, on, eh, um, but you still found something interesting about them?
2: I would say the one I was, well, obviously, the one we all hate, but I, would, I was saying earlier about Ishura, I was, I felt a little bit like homework, so I, this that would be one I wasn't like rushing back to, but most of the other ones... Honestly, I, they kept me. And then I would say one of the villainous ones. There was two. That's what I'm trying to make sure I have the right one. The villainous level 99. I didn't hate it. I just got bored. I'm not really into the like school politics of like who are you with that kind of thing. I much preferred the time loop one because I liked the time travel, and just kind of let they made the characters really smart in <laughs> the time loop one and the other one the villainous it's kind of like I don't know if she earned it I would say yeah that was the only one where I was like yeah I don't really care yeah almost all the other ones I either really liked or I looked at the trailer and I skipped it's like Dr. Elise I was like no I'm not gonna do that one snack buzzer I only watched one episode and it was like I might be a culture thing but I was just like this animation is kind of not my bag and there's so many other food anime ones that i enjoyed
0: i mean again it's so hard to try to be a food-based anime when delicious and dungeon is just i know <laughs> doing the whole captain america running past falcon multiple times meme where it's just like don't you do it don't you do it delicious in dungeon is delicious god darn it mike what is your next takeaway
1: I didn't have this one in my notes, but I just realized looking looking at where the source material for Dr. Elise came from. So yeah. we have two shows that are based on material from South Korea. Both Dr. Elise and Soul Leveling started off as Korean webtoons or webcomics. So it, it's kind of cool that anime is still mostly japan-centric but they're starting to adapt material from other parts of the world which is pretty cool in the grand scheme of things
0: it's funny because crunchyroll was very much on the train of we're going to adapt some manhwa into anime like that's what tower of god is that's what happened with the, the gods of high school and then after like 2020 and 2021 i think They took a hard break from it because they weren't panning out. But then every once in a while, we'll get a manhwa adaptation. And and I, I guess they're just kind of picking out which ones to adapt right now. One other takeaway that I have is that even with, like what, we had like 26 or so shows, almost 30, I was still pleasantly surprised how many times I was surprised by the shows. Like, there was some stuff like Bang, Brave, Bravern, which is an unhinged mecha anime with the most outwardly homoerotic tone to it, especially in the second episode, where the robot is eloquently waxing poetically about wanting the male lead inside him again, and everyone just feeling like, do you not hear yourself right now? <laughs> but it was still such a love letter to old mecha anime from, I would say, maybe 80s and 90s. Not entirely 70s, like when Mazinger was big, but more Dieguard Guard, Gravion era, or whatever 90s mecha were big outside of Gundam back then.
1: I just heard the OP for the first time before we hit record, and that OP just screams mid-80s to, like, early 90s mech anime, and it is kind of glorious. But speaking of unhinged anime, Butchigiri, I I say this as a compliment. I don't know what the hell I watched, but I want to see more. Bouchigiri, the new yeah, anime a-
0: from MAPPA, and the creator of... Skate the Infinity, and the director of the Banana Fish and Free franchise. When I realized that's who was behind this anime, it was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Because of how how boy love it is with its premise. I love that every time this kid and his genie get into a fight, it ends up with the person he's fighting falling in love with him. And the one hypermanic pixie dream girl that we have is not interested in any other guy, but has like this huge fascination and I guess arousal watching her brother beat the tar out of people. And that feels like a parody of like the one female character in the delinquent drama anime that loves our lead for beating the pulp out of people. But it also helps that, you know, Buchigiri has a super vibrant punk art style and the slight inspiration of a thousand and one tales gives it its own extra bit of personality to its DNA.
2: My notes say it's wild and weird and I love it. So more please.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then Like, this was also a very bountiful season for original shows because Studio Bones put out their own original anime with Metallic Rouge. There were two kind of buddy cop anime this season where we had two characters traversing and trying to solve these mysteries around specific locations. Like with Metallic Rouge, it's on Mars. Mm -hmm. And it turns into them trying to find these special robot androids to take down and whatever they don't show or tell you about the world and the story. They just say like, let's engross you into the atmosphere of it.
1: And man, I just like studio bones. (laughs) They put out good stuff. They really do. And everything you said about metallic rouge is definitely reasons why you may or may not see that in my top five because they're just doing all the right things. They got great characters the story is a great kind of mix of iRobot meets Blade Runner and also just the action is really well choreographed. They got it all. Perfect. For something a little sillier, like I think the silly
0: comedy animes this season were also very good. We had Tis Time for Torture Princess, which is so silly, but it works, not just because of Pine Jam's amazing animation, but because of how the Demon Lord and the Demon Army are not technically bad people from the sound of it. (laughs) It's like they're the bad guys, but they're not, well, as Zangief from Wreck-It Ralph would put it, bad guys it's just another side of the conflict but the whole joke of the demon lord's child doing the torturing and getting the information instead of using that information the demon lord's like treating it like a like a kid showing off to their parents their first drawing and he's going to frame it for only himself to see and how Like It might not be delicious in dungeon food porn levels, but man, when they want to show off food, it is so good-looking. I've
1: never seen a piece of toast look that (laughs) delicious.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: It, It just works that the anime is very likable, and it's going the route of, we're not going to do BDSM torture, or we're going to do the actual horrifying torture stuff. This is just like, I'm going to eat this box of chocolate cookie things in front of you, unless you give me the information I look for. Like, they would all get along if there wasn't a war between the two factions.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite jokes is the sword is like, this princess is the commander of the third army. She can withstand any sort of pressure. And then, like, she immediately caves and she's like, And the sword's just like, what? What are you doing?
0: (laughs) There's a point in, like, I think either episode four or five where the sword has just basically given up on having faith in her. (laughs) I also really liked our first Power Rangers parody of the year with Mr. Villain's Day Mm -hmm. Off where it might be another Power Rangers parody, but, or, you know, Super Sentai if we're going to be pedantic about it. It captures that element of, it's my day off, I want to hear from none of you from work, let me do my own stuff. <laughs> and all this big bad villain wants to do is go to the zoo and look at the pandas, because pandas are adorable.
2: I thought that was a thing that I noticed, if like, I mean, I think it's just a com- um, probably a commentary on culture and not just Japanese culture our culture is a lot of the anime we're talking about like I need a day off or like I'm in a corporate job and I, like, have no life and I need, like, this break. And then obviously the story starts with, like, something to happen, like, especially in Sasaki and Peeps when he gets his bird. And then also in, like, Fluffly Paradise, like, she literally drops dead from working too much and then she wants to just pet animals. I thought that was hilarious. And to an extent in solo leveling, like, they're all hunters and it's super dangerous and everyone's kind of like, why do you work so much, like... Maybe it's not safe. And I just thought that was like definitely coming out of a lot of different shows that I saw like more so than other seasons.
0: Yeah. That was something that popped up a lot. I think that's a very good takeaway to have. It's, I mean like who knows if society will ever change when they see these common commentaries, because it seems like we keep beating work culture over the head with saying like, Hey, the current work industry and workforce is not sustainable quit it.
1: That's exactly what I said when I started watching Fluffy Paradise. Like, the second our main character just dropped dead from overwork, I'm like, is this a cry for help by the animators? Because... (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, it could be.
0: It's just like, I think it's just a thing in general. Like, we are working ourselves in an economy that Mm -hmm. is not sustainable, so we need our escapism, we need our days off, we need a life outside of work. And while Sasaki and Peeps didn't fully work for me, just because I'm curious about how the mixture of the Isekai and we gotta find psychic stuff blends together, and I don't know if it fully does as of when I stopped watching it, Mm -hmm. but I did love the fact that This little finch-like character is just like, I want Wagyu. The romance anime were really surprising this season, especially A Sign of Affection, which not only has an amazing visual presentation, but shows us a viewpoint from the deaf main character's perspective of how isolated she feels in her own world because of her deafness, and how we can do better to help them feel more a part of the world that they live in. Interesting to see commentary about this because it reminds me of, uh, oh, Mike, what was that movie we watched like a few years ago? Like Josie, the tiger and the fish, which talked about the commentary, how handicapped people are treated in society. It made for not only a sweet romance anime, but one that has more something to say than just will they, won't they. Oh, and thank goodness these two romance anime have, well, this and Cherry Magic Mm -hmm. are about adults. Yes. (laughs) Like, not a mini Mm -hmm. takeaway. The romance anime are getting adults and not in that way. The Cherry Magic one, where our main character gains... Magic powers because he stayed a virgin for 30 years. Like, at first, it's like, where is this going? This sounds weird. But then it turns out that he can hear his coworker's voice and realizes that his coworker is in love with him. And it, it turns into this super sweet Yowie story. And it's interesting how he got this literally a season after my new boss is goofy which they almost look the same except for the different art styles Mm -hmm. but i like that we have these work culture romance anime where it's about adults and they're building up the relationships towards them
2: so i thought it was sweet and it had more food in it which i always love in the cherry magic It took me a minute to understand the title, and then I was like, oh, I get it now. And then it's not really that magical. It's just, like, almost like if he was just psychic and he can read people's minds. So I thought it was, like, a good balance of, like, mostly the real world in that one.
1: A sign of affection. Everything you said about this just being, you know, great representation for people with disabilities. And also just because we're constantly hearing Yuki's inner monologue... That does a great job of, like, putting us directly in her headspace. And you kind of feel all of her emotions throughout these first couple episodes. And also just the chemistry that she shares with everyone is just really adorable.
0: That first episode ending where she's asking him, like, what's the world like? And he's like, it's huge. And then he's like, I want to be part of your world. It's like, oh, that is so sweet. I love it. But something else another show I was really surprised by. The Witch and the Beast. The next great mystery crime anime follow up to from Undead Murder Farce. Or at least that's the show I was thinking about when I was watching this one where we follow this mage and this uh, blonde woman trying to find the person that cursed the witch that cursed her. And once again, we're in a world where there's no gender label to witch Mm -hmm. though. I guess they still use it somewhat in a gendered way because the guy is that we follow along with the blonde woman is a mage, but I don't think they really explain that part, but I loved this supernatural thriller of going on these missions and trying to take down these witches or people who are using dark magic. And it can actually be fairly creepy. And I loved the reveal in the first episode yeah. of, like, what's in the coffin. That's, like, the first major mystery of the show, is what's in that coffin. And for it to be a the original form, or supposedly the original form of our blonde lead. I was just like, I'm down. I want to see what happens here.
2: Yeah, it was really dark, but I liked it. (laughs) That it was really going there. Obviously, I like how it was a slow reveal, but not in a bad way of, like, what's going on with these characters. Um, What is the world? And yeah, I definitely like the mix of kind of, like, modern technology with, like, the magic.
1: This and solo leveling did a good job of combining sort of the, you know, modern day technology with supernatural elements. And as far as main characters go, Ashaf has, he has just like so much like swagger to, (laughs) he just like oozes cool. And I like the sort of contrast between his like calm, cool collected self and Guido just being a loose cannon. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Who gets to cut loose once in a while, to some again going back to what we said about violence but done tastefully there is a lot of violence in this show it's presented in such a unique way it is i think just in
0: general like since i've said all my takeaways the anime were better this time around and that's not always a given with winter seasons i know we're usually very loving of the fall and the spring anime and then very like oh boy here comes summer but winter is always unexpected because sometimes it could be amazing and then sometimes it's falls apart but here if i had to give it a rating i'd probably say it's an a but i mean like not without its faults but that's why it's like an a and a minus maybe just because the bad ones still stood out, and there was still a lot of middling stuff, but the fun stuff and the good shows still trounced the bad, and that's what you want.
2: Do we think it's... Because I don't know, like, production schedules, do we think, like, some shows that were supposed to come out in the fall just got pushed to winter, and that's why we have, like, more good things?
1: It's very possible that that might be the case. That happens sometimes. A lot of
0: shows... Even with, like, taking summer 2020 into consideration Mm -hmm. where everything got pushed into fall because of the pandemic. I think that happens sometimes. Even some shows that were supposed to appear next season are now going to be in either the summer or fall season. But we got, like, a lot of good stuff. And, yeah, maybe it was because they're like, hey, give us a few more months to work this out. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's what I think.
0: And I think... Delicious and Dungeon got pushed to this year because I think it was supposed to show up last summer season but Netflix bought it and of course they wanted to uh, yeah. put it in Netflix jail so they waited until like now to be like okay we'll release it first thing in the new year and it just helped make the fantasy isekai genre look that much better
2: i also Um, think it's more female characters that were like less flat across the board and i think that also helped like overall for the seasons oh yeah Yeah. more
0: agency given to them and
2: correct (laughs) which is
0: interesting because that's usually like shouldn't be a problem with anime because anime is so headstrong with being like yeah we're gonna have female characters get over it losers and Yet sometimes they, they still fall flat or are just completely unlikable. But here, there was a good balance of characters who had more to them than just one character trait. I love how Delicious in Dungeon does that, where you think the elf character is very much this stress ball of, like, I don't want to eat that. Yeah. Why are we eating that ill? But as you watch through the episodes you find out that there is more to her. Like, the most recent episode is all about her. Oh, it's great. Like, I can't recommend Delicious in Dungeon enough. It's like, probably a year-in best for me, just because of the whole premise and how it's executed. And also maybe because Sung Wan Cho is amazing as the dwarf character. uh, Oh, he
1: he is so much fun. Like, I don't know,
0: man. I just like when we get to talk about anime and it's mostly positive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. My one final takeaway before we transition to our top five is anytime I say in the group chat, I want to keep going, but we have to move on. Like, that's when you know that an anime has me hook, line, and sinker. And I know I'm usually bad at continuing a lot of these shows, but I do want to try to put more effort into finishing some of these because like this season especially has some really good ones. It it was
0: frustrating to be like, man, like solo leveling was another one for that where the, it was finally hooking you in with, okay, here's where the leveling part comes out. And this is what our lead has to do to become stronger but yeah, I just want to see a lot of these shows. I want to see how they end. Now, I have I have 17 titles I could recommend, but I think let's cut it to five with honorable mentions. Uh, Teresa, you go first. What would your top five be?
2: Sure. I feel like we're going to have a lot of overlap. Delicious in Dungeon, Solo Leveling, Buchi Giri, Sengoku, Yuko, and Metallic Rouge are my top five. Honorable mention would be Fluffy Paradise, Mr. Villain's Day Off, and It's Time for Torture, Princess.
0: Mike, what is your top five and any, if all, honorable mentions?
1: So I've got Delicious in Dungeon, Solo Leveling, The Witch and the Beast, Metallic Rouge, and probably the the wrong way to use Healing Magic. And then for honorable mentions, I would say... Oh... Actually, I would I would say for the top five, I would throw a sign of affection there. And then for honorable mentions, stuff like Buchigiri, Fluffy Paradise, and the two villainous shows.
0: Man, this is tough. I mean, of course, Delicious and Dungeon.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say Ishida,
0: a sign of affection, the wrong way to use healing magic. And I'm going to say Buchigiri with... My honorable mentions going to Mr. Villain's Day Off. The week as Tamer began their journey, Tis time for torture. Oh, God, and there's Sengoku Yoko, which I also really loved, and we finally got an adaptation of a manga property from the guy who made Lucifer and the Biscuit Hammer and Planet With. That was actually a really good adaptation. Oh, gosh. I, like I said, I have like 17 anime I can recommend. That's more than I can usually say for any season. <laughs> yeah, I think I still stand by my top five, even though it pains me to have so many good ones fighting for that sixth spot. That's a good problem to have. I can't wait to see what comes with the next season and... I definitely want to do this again where we just talk about our takeaways from the season, because after a while, there's only so many times you can just say the same problem of every Isekai is they're all generic and they're all following the same plot. Even though like we only talk about the new stuff, I was still like super excited to see some of the returning stuff like Mashal or Moonlit Fantasy back for another season Nice. And The Dangers in My Heart Season 2 was back also. I know a few friends of mine who were really excited for more Blue Exorcist.
2: Uh, bottom, yeah, really yeah. Excited.
0: And then bottom tier character Tomozaki got a second season. Like, yeah, there's no Spy X Family or other main shonen titles. And I know Adult Swim put out that Ninja Kamui anime, but we'll Mike and I will get to that at a later date when it wraps up, but it's one of those seasons where you go like, yeah, I like anime. Well, to see how the spring titles come out, but I do know the big one for this next season is Kaiju number eight, which looks amazing. And we're also getting a return to the world of Spice and Wolf, which was a fan favorite series. So I can't wait to see what we do next time
1: same but until next time teresa where can everyone find you online
2: you can find me on most social channels at teresa electro um come and tell me what shows you liked
1: and cameron where can everyone find you
0: you can find me on twitter and blue sky at cams view you can check out my websites called camsiview.biz where I review animated films, shows, and anime from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash
1: camsiview. That's where you can find me. And you can find me on various social media at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and that place at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on YouTube, Podchaser, Consider supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash culture Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In Escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.